This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's got curly, fluffy, soft black hair, and she's very adorable. And she's a part of our family, and we care a lot about taking good care of her. And that includes feeding her high-quality dog food like Merrick's. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. They always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Merrick creates homestyle recipes like Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato or Grammy's Pot Pie, so you can feel good about what you're feeding your pet. I mean, you know, you come home from being out, and your dog is there to greet you, and, like, that's one of the best things about having a pet, you know? You come home, the dog's happy to see you, and they're hungry. And you want to reciprocate that good feeling they give you. When you walk in the door, you want to give to them in the form of some high-quality food. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. All right, it's that time of year once again to turn the Sporkful into a game show. That's right. It's our third annual Two Chefs and a Lie episode. But I'm not the host of this game. No, I am a contestant just like you. You ready to play? Let's do it. This is the Sporkful, Two Chefs and a Lie 2023 edition. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. And this week, we're doing that in the form of a game show. I'm going to talk to three people. Two of them are real chefs. One of them is a liar, an actor pretending to be a chef. I have to try to figure out which one is the liar. And so, my dear listeners, do you. Now I want to welcome the host of today's game, Sporkful producer Andres O'Hara. Hey, Andres. Hey, Dan. So you've lined up three people for me to interview. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know anything about these people. I don't even know their names. Every time mm-hmm. this episode comes up in one of our Sporkful team meetings, you and Emma are like, shh, 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 we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. That's right. Can't tell you anything. It's very hush-hush. I know nothing. So, Andres, there are a few rules here. What are the rules? You can't use your phone. You can't use Google. No internet. All you have to go on is what these chefs say. That's right. And that goes for you folks listening, too. All right? No, no searching anywhere, okay? Yep. And the next rule for you, Dan, you only get five questions. This one's always tough. Yeah, five questions per person. And we're turning off all video. So all you get is the sound of the chef's voices. That's right. I'm not getting access to any information that listeners aren't getting. I'm not seeing these people. There's no no extra info that I'm able to get. No facial tics, no hesitations, no scratching of the chin, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a very chefy chin scratch there. That's right. You can't. You don't get that, Dan. No, I don't get that. Dan, those are the rules. So now let's talk strategy. How are you thinking that you're going to approach this game? Well, so this is the third time we've done this, and I have failed both of the first two times to identify the liar. So I'm 0 for 2. And I think clearly that means I need a new approach. Okay, my, in, the, in the past, my approach was very much like I'm going to ask really detailed questions, and I'm going to listen for who seems hesitant, who's fumbling, because that would be you know a tell. They must be lying. But actually, I'm starting to think that that was flawed logic. Because a lot of the real chefs, maybe they haven't been interviewed before, so they could be a little nervous. It might be normal and natural for the real chefs to stumble or hesitate a little bit and not have all the answers at their fingertips. Maybe it's not a sign that they're lying. Maybe it's a sign that they're nervous. On the other hand, a professional actor pretending to be a chef is more likely to be very smooth, a little performative. So I think this time around, I'm going to look for whoever sounds and feels the smoothest, a little too polished, answers coming a little too easily. That is how I think I'm going to know that this person is the liar. 
Or at least, that's what I'm hoping. All right, Andres, who am I talking to? Let's bring out our first chef. Hi, my name is Jackie Carnese. Uh, I'm the executive chef at a restaurant in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, uh, called Nura. It is a hybrid of Indian-Mexican cuisine, and I am from the southernmost tip of Texas, right on the Mexican border and the Gulf Coast. Okay. Hey, Jackie. Nice to meet you. Likewise. All right. So I get five questions. Now, you already divulged a good bit of information there in your intro. I didn't ask you to do that, so that doesn't count as one of my questions. Okay. <laughs> so you said that Nura is a Indian-Mexican fusion restaurant? Yeah, fusion is probably the appropriate word, even if it's, uh, you know, not not a preferred word for chefs. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, first question. Why is it not a preferred word for chefs? Ooh, uh, I think just because it, it was like a really big thing in the 90s and like early 2000s and um, is kind of like indicative of maybe not so current food. Right. You said you're from South Texas, so I assume you were exposed to Mexican and Tex-Mex food growing up. Tell me how the Indian influence got in there. So I was asked to start this restaurant with the owner, Michelle, who is Indian. She's from Goa, and my background is largely in Mexican food. Um, so I basically told her I don't really have that much experience in Indian food, and she gave me the opportunity to kind of build this menu um, based on my background and her background. I've asked two questions so far. My first question was about the word fusion, and second question was about where the Indian influence came from. Um, what did you find was the key to incorporating Indian influences in your cooking at this restaurant, knowing that you didn't have a lot of training with Indian cuisine? So I obviously did um, a lot of research, you know, reading a lot of cookbooks and, you know, just doing a lot of studying, talking to Michelle about the dishes that she grew up with. And in doing that, I found that there were so many parallels between the two cuisines, um, you know, the usage of chilies and certain spices, um, you know, a lot of cumin and coriander. And while our menu doesn't really necessarily focus on classic Indian dishes, it, it more so utilizes the ingredients of Indian cuisine and Mexican cuisine. Okay. This is all sounding plausible. Those are three questions, Dan. Three questions. All right. Jackie, what's the address at Nura? It is uh, 46 Norman Avenue. It's on the corner of Guernsey and Norman in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. All right, a little hesitation there. Hmm. <laughs> she wasn't totally sure of the address, Andres. Yeah, she gave um, a she gave intersection. Is that overcompensating, or is that just she right. knows she knows where she is? And she's probably banking on the fact that I don't know if that's a real intersection. No. Um, okay. Final question. Describe in detail the technique for making a classic Goan dish. You said Michelle, your co-owner is from Goa, the region of India. I want to hear a specific, walk me through the recipe here, chef. Sure. Um, so I actually, um, over the winter, put a dish on the menu um, that is seemingly very non-traditional Indian food because it is um, a pork dish. 
Um, it's called Pork Belly and Dodd. Um, it uses tamarind and dried chilies and uh, mustard seeds, a lot of onion, some brown sugar, so uh, and vinegar. So it's like a nice uh, balance between like spicy, salty, sour, sweet. Um, and you know, pork is not very commonly utilized in India, but um, in this very specific area that Michelle grew up in, uh, pork belly and dod is a classic dish that is uh, used to celebrate big occasions. Okay. Like maybe to celebrate winning two chefs in a lie for the first time, as I hope to do today? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe I'll make it for you. All right, all right. Uh, if you even exist, Jackie. Uh, yeah, that's the big question. That's, that's the big existential question. That's right. I yeah. know. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, your restaurant sounds fantastic. If in fact it exists, so Jackie will ask you to hold hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to my next chef. Sure thing. So Dan, that was Jackie Carnesi of Nura in Brooklyn. What did you think about her answers? Um. I thought that Jackie's discussion of how this sort of fusion restaurant came together with Michelle. You know, I think oftentimes we hear the story of like the food being 100% sort of the personal experience of the chef, but actually a lot of restaurants come together this way. It's like it's an owner who has a vision but doesn't have the expertise, an owner who wants to see a certain type of restaurant. I found that that story of how this restaurant came to be very believable. Mm Mm-hmm even though it might not quite have the same sort of like personal narrative that some restaurants and their menus end up having. Yeah. If you aren't inside the world of food, you might not think to make that up. Sure, sure. Like the most obvious on the nose fake story of a restaurant would be like, I grew up with this, you know, my, my, my grandmother made this and I learned from my mom and I wanted to carry on my heritage and that's why I'm doing this dish that's been passed down for, you know, like, like it's, it's this long personal narrative. And Jackie's a little bit more of like a hired gun, right. which is... Not at all a knock. Like, that's what most chefs are. I think that, like, it's a less obvious narrative for a restaurant, which to me makes it a little bit more believable. Sure. So what you're saying is that that gives Jackie a point in the direction of being a chef. What might take it away is the potential hesitation around the address in this made-up neighborhood called Greenpoint that you don't know anything about. (laughs) (laughs) I do know Greenpoint. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, for Jackie, the discussion of the details of the food was a little bit lacking. Okay, yeah. You know, anyone can say that they put tamarind and ginger in some Indian food. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't tell me that you're actually a chef. Yeah. She also said almost nothing about the cooking technique. You know, is it braised or seared or, or what? Like, and how is it plated? You know, these are the kinds of things that chefs think about and talk about all the time. So I'm making note of the fact that she didn't mention any of those details. Okay, we need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we meet our next two chefs. Then, Dan, you and our listeners at home have to decide who are the chefs and who's the liar. Stick around. Ooh, advertisements. Yummy. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? 
Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation, family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn Best Buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know the peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's peanut butter cups now at a store near you found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to the Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. A couple weeks ago, senior producer Emma Morgenstern took us on a journey to the Appalachian Trail. It's a 2000 mile hike from Georgia to Maine. Every year, a few thousand people attempt to hike the whole thing, but only a quarter of them actually finish. And as Emma found out, the people on this hike have some pretty extreme ways of making sure they're getting their calories. A lot of people will just take out a, a bottle of olive oil and just drink it out of the bottle. So you take three or four tablespoons of that and you put it into some ramen or you put it in the mashed potatoes and you add a bunch of calories. And, you know, you wouldn't necessarily do it at home, but out here, you know. In this episode, we also meet Cricket, a hiker from Ohio who takes a very different approach to eating on trail. But when things get tough for Cricket, she has to rethink her strategy. That one's up now. Check it out. All right, now let's get back to two chefs and a lie. I've talked to one chef, quote-unquote chef. Time to talk to two more. Sporkful producer Andre Sohara. Who do we have next? Chef number two, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jesse Kirkendall. I go by Chef Kirk, and I'm the executive for Ocho and the chef and owner for Milpa Tequeria in San Antonio. All right, Ocho and Milpa in San Antonio, Texas. First question... How'd you get the nickname Chef Kirk? I got the nickname Chef Kirk through my sister, actually. She was known as Kirk. And since I was going to elementary school and she was very like popular when they would call me Little Kirk. And then it just stuck to Kirk. This is a corollary to the first question. But I'm asking, like, what about the chef part of the Chef Kirk nickname? How'd you get that? 
Uh, the chef part, well, I earned it. I actually ended up uh, eventually becoming um, a lead cook and then from there moved my way up, you know, up the kitchen. Uh, I also graduated from the culinary school, which uh, technically it's like you're considered a chef. Um, once I started my actual like lead positions, you know, all of a sudden, you know, everybody was just chef, 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 chef. So it just kind of stuck already. And then Chef Kirk became a thing. All right. That's a strong opening there, Andres. Sounds like a chef to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we, when you come into this game and tell me that I should call you Chef Kirk, either you're definitely a chef or, or, you're, or you're trying too hard to trick me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, being that I am transitioning right now, okay. um, female to male, like I also just, you know, people ask me what our pronouns are, what's this, what's that. And I just tell them, just just call me chef. Gender is applied to so many different certain types of titles, but but there's no gender applied to chef. Um, this is my question number two. Question two. It sounds like that that um, nickname has taken on new significance for you. It definitely has. How so? This is follow up to number two. Still number two. All right. Yeah. So the nickname "Open Doors" is actually like made it easier for me to get noticed and recognized. As in, like I'm the only chef Kirk in town. So it's definitely one of those things that, like, once you hear about it, it's like, oh, I know who you're talking about. It's become even to where, like, if the public sees me outside, that's what they call me, Chef Kirk. Chef Kirk. It's like, all right. Okay. Question number three: Between Ocho and Milpa, which one did you open first? I started off with Milpa. Milpa was actually a food truck. Um, my mom had told me, you know, uh, back in the day, she used to work the Milpas, which is the harvesting of corn and stuff like that. So when I went to Oaxaca and I started working there myself, I realized that I really liked the name and I really liked what it, it was about, the, the cultivation, and I embraced it. So when I got back, I opened up a, a food truck and it was I named it Milpa. And um, the hotel restaurant is Ocho. I had a friend that actually put my resume, it slid it in. They were looking for a chef and he was actually working front desk. So he pushed my application after I told him, no, no, I just started meet by, you know, it's 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 already hectic enough right now. And, but yeah, he, he ended up surprising me and um, I ended up getting a call. Two questions left. Two questions left. Hmm, let me see, let me see. Chef Kirk. Um, question number four. Chef Kirk, tell me in detail how you make a dish on one of your menus that has special personal significance to you? Yeah, so I love moles. Uh, but, you know, when, when I asked my mom to teach me how to make a mole, she was like, you know, I'm a single mom with six kids. I don't have time to be making mole. And I was just like, <laughs> bummer. Like, <laughs> so part of my travel to Oaxaca was to learn moles. And the mole chichilo is one of like the seven festive moles that they make over there. And it requires a chile chihuacle negro, which is just really grown in Oaxaca. And um, once I tried that, it wasn't a, a, a sweet mole it was very acidic and the fact that you charred everything down to where it's just kind of like uh it's ashes pretty much and then from there you add that oaxacan sea salt and it brings out the flavor as soon as you finish layering your moles like adding your ingredients your spices your broth all this other stuff it just really surprised me how it works with any type of like protein from pork to venison to you know um oyster mushrooms so that is one of my 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 things it's like the mole chichilo wherever i take it it's just a hit that sounds delicious, Chef Kirk. I, I hope that that's real. <laughs> it, it is, it is, really it is real. You know, it's uh, pretty unbelievable. So, but it's real, it's real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so final question, Chef Kirk. Where in Texas were breakfast tacos invented? Oh, uh, 
it would have to be San Antonio. I mean, I've had those Austin tacos and, you know, they're they're very bougie for me. They're very hipster for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Laredo, well, Laredo calls them mariachis. So any anything down south, they're probably more known like mariachis or, um, what is it, um, tacos de almuerzo, but not like breakfast tacos, I would say San Antonio. Well, according to Jose Relat, taco editor of Texas Monthly Magazine and friend of the show, as he said when we had him on, San Antonio is the correct answer, not Austin. His research backs you up, Chef Kirk. <laughs> All right. Well, Chef Kirk, executive chef at Ocho and Milpa in San Antonio, if those places, well, I know San Antonio exists. <laughs> Not sure if those restaurants exist, but thanks so much, Chef. You stand by, okay? Stand by, and we're going we're gonna to come back to you. All right, Dan. So what did you think of our chef number two? <sighs> chef Kirk just seemed like knowledgeable, the details of the food, the thought process of the mole, the fact that, you know, we're talking about putting venison in there. Um, it, it, it felt very chefy, but I'm a little thrown by the nickname Chef Kirk because mm. it just feels like if I was an actor yeah. and I was going to come on in, in this format and try to trick the host into thinking that I was a chef, like it it's, like, it's almost seems hilariously on the nose <laughs> to be like, I'm going to tell this dummy that my nickname is Chef. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's all we need. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dan. So you've talked to two chefs already. How are you feeling about your strategy? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. But I mean, you know, it's uh, I, I have a one in three chance. Mm -hmm. And this is the third time we've done this. We played this game and I'm over two. Yep. So just law of probabilities. I should win this year. I should win. I should win one once every three years if I'm just guessing. Okay. So now, Dan, our last chef on Two Chefs and a Lie. Hi, I'm Kenise Allen, and I run Priscilla's Kitchen. I'm so nervous. <laughs> I run Priscilla's Kitchen in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hi, Kenise. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. First question. Why are you nervous? I'm nervous because I haven't been on a podcast before, and uh, I've listened to The Sporkful, and so I, I have, like, high expectations, and I want to be good. Well, uh, we're going to bring those expectations right down right now, Kenise. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So question number two, what year did you open Priscilla's Kitchen? I opened it in 2019, uh, right before the pandemic, and it was maybe not the best time to have opened a restaurant. Short answer there, but I only asked you for a year, so I guess that's <laughs> it'd be unfair of me to expect more. Um, hmm. What was the inspiration for Priscilla's Kitchen? So growing up, we ate at all different types of restaurants, or at least I thought that. I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we had a place called El Cancun Mexican Food and the Great Wall of China for Chinese food, and realizing as I grew older that these were not good restaurants. So really traveling around, trying food in different places, going, uh, I, I took a summer and backpack through Europe like a very traditional suburban kid. Uh, and I tried so many different types of food and I thought, this is great, but what if we brought some of these Southern ingredients to this type of food? Quickly tick off five menu items in your restaurant. 
Okay, so my absolute favorite is our sweet potato croquettes. So I was in Spain and I tried the croquettes and they were fine. But given that most of the potato cooking that happened when I was a kid was with sweet potatoes, I thought about what really pairs well with this and what flavors would make it a little bit brighter. Playing with sausage, onion, adding in like a lot, like so much, almost over the top rosemary. Roll that in breadcrumbs, deep fry it. And I've almost set my sister's house on fire uh, doing this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's it's okay. We still love each other. Uh, it comes together so nicely, and it's a great way to either start a meal or finish a meal. Also, this is another uh, old standard in my family's kitchen is sweet potato pudding. Uh, but this comes with vanilla and bourbon and a mix of different types of potatoes that I think really makes the flavor not what everyone's expecting. And then, of course, catfish. There's two ways that we serve it with a slice of American cheese on top and then with mustard, like a really just tangy mustard with the fried catfish. It's absolutely delicious. We have green beans, of course, because we have to have some vegetables. Yes, there is pork in the green beans, uh, but it is technically a vegetable. Uh, and then dirty rice. All right. That was, a, that was a very thorough list. Two questions left. Two questions left. Tell me, Kinesi, in detail, the secret to frying catfish. Okay, the temperature of the oil is obviously quite important, but I think soaking the catfish in something before that really enhances the flavor. Some people do uh, buttermilk. I think that's a little gross, honestly. But I think uh, soaking it in some salt water, rinsing it, and then uh, getting the batter just right. And then we use corn, like some cornmeal to, to bread it. So I think, hmm, I'd say the top thing because I've had catfish where they don't use cornmeal and I don't like it as much. So I'm going to say the cornmeal. Okay. Final question. What's the phone number, Priscilla's Kitchen? Oh, okay. 704-541-7477. That was pretty quick. Yeah. I, sh I don't know the area code in Charlotte. Charlotte is 704. Oh, right. So I, um, <laughs> I'm pretty good with area codes, but I, I, I mean, I'll have to trust you on that one. But I mean... If you've listened to the song Hose in different area codes, they do mention 704, which was a point of pride for me as a child because I was like, we are one of the featured area codes for Hose. <laughs> um, all right, Kenise. Thank you very much. Priscilla's Kitchen, if in fact it exists, sounds lovely, and I would love to come there sometime. I'll ask you to hold them online, please. I'm going to consult with Andres and okay, get back to thank you. thank you. All right, thank you. Okay, Dan, that was Kenise Ellen in Charlotte, North Carolina. You've heard from all three chefs. So how are you feeling about your chances in this game? I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, here, so as I work my way towards a conclusion here, I feel sold on Chef Kirk. I think Chef Kirk is a real chef. I just think that the way that they talked about the details of the mole, the acidity in the mole, and there was a lot of just very believable details. Plus, you know, I, I just... I just don't think that an actor would ask to be called Chef Kirk. I think they would be thinking that that would blow their cover. Mm, so it would be too much. Right. I think Chef Kirk's a real chef. Okay. We've eliminated Chef Kirk as the potential liar. <sighs> I, I'm torn between Jackie and Kenise. So we have Jackie in Brooklyn, executive chef at Nura, which is Mexican-Indian fusion. And then we have Kenise in Charlotte, North Carolina, of Priscilla's Kitchen. Now, Jackie's description of what she cooks, it just lacked detail. 
didn't seem very chefy to me. So that is a point against Jackie being the real chef. Right. Okay. But then for Kenise, and this really comes back to my sort of overarching strategy that I went in with, which was like, she started off, she said she was a little bit nervous, right? Mm -hmm. I asked her to name five menu items. She she went in very a lot of detail on the croquettes, mm-hmm. which made me kind of feel like she was stalling. Okay. While she tried to think up others. Interesting. And then she said she puts mustard on the catfish, but like didn't specify what kind of mustard. Mm. I, I'd be surprised <laughs> if a chef would would when sharing a recipe would not specify the type of mustard that they're putting on anything because uh-huh. it's a big difference. Okay. It's like saying I put sauce on. Mm-hmm. You know, like any chef would be like, I put a sauce of this, this, and that, you know, and I do this and that, and it's got a little bit of that in it, you know. Yeah. At the outset, I was saying that, like, in the past, I feel like if somebody was kind of nervous and stumbling, it made me think that they were the liar. Mm-hmm. But then I started to think that, like, actually, maybe it's the other, I should be thinking of the other way, that, like, the professional actor is going to be the smoothest. Right. Um, Kenise came right out and said, like, I'm really nervous. Sure. But is that just a ploy? Uh-huh. Something just in the way that she talked, her delivery sounded like like this was not her first time performing. Mm-hmm. That was also a big tip off to me. Okay, there's two more things that are are sticking with me here, Andres, mm-hmm. with regard to Kenise in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. The joke about uh, referencing hoes in other, in area codes. Sure. There was like there was a strong comedic timing with that delivery. Oh, and also, I did not pick up on much of. A southern accent. Okay. Which I know not, not everyone in the South, especially these days, as people have traveled and migrated around the country, that's not an automatic. Mm-hmm. For someone who is cooking food so steeped in southern cooking, mm-hmm. I, I would have thought there'd be like at least a twinge. Maybe not deep draw, but like a little something. Okay. Okay, listeners, time for you to decide who are the chefs and who's the liar. And now, I'm ready to reveal my final answer. I think that the fake chef, the liar, is Kenise of Priscilla's Kitchen in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that is your final answer? That's my final answer. Okay. If the real liar can please come forward and tell us who they are. Oh my gosh, it was me. I'm <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Finally. I, the thing is, I am from Charlotte and all of the details are correct in some ways. But, Danny, uh, jerk. <laughs> I, I'm not, like, I, growing up, I was told that I wasn't allowed to have a Southern accent because people think Southern accents sound stupid. And if I wanted to do well in life, I need to get rid of my accent. <laughs> Kenise, please just uh, introduce yourself. Tell yeah, us, tell us about more yourself. about yourself. Sure. Hi, I am Kenise Mobley, a comedian living in Brooklyn, New York. And so, same borough as Jacqueline. The closest I've come to working in a kitchen is that I worked at a Chuck E. Cheese for a year. <laughs> Got it. And so, you see, Kenise, one of the things that I was thinking was like, you know, a- as a trained performer, of course, you're going to make up a story that connects to your real lived experience in some way because you'll be able to fake it better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you just sounded, you sounded polished. You know, you sounded like, a, like you know what you're doing. I'm sure you're a very good performer. But um, Thank you. But I got you today. I'm, I'm disappointed, but I accept my defeat. <laughs> um, what kind of mustard would you like on your catfish? 
so my mom uses French's American okay. uh, super yellow like chemical mustard. Right. And I prefer like a Dijon mustard. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Kenise, I'll ask you one more quick question. Tell me what was your what was your strategy going into this to impersonate a chef? Uh, really listen to the actual chefs and try to incorporate enough language like them, uh, but not so much that it sounded just like a regurgitation of what they said, but really just go with the food that I like. And I do like cooking, and those are the things that I like to cook. Well, you almost pulled it off, Kenise. You almost got another one past old Dan, but not this year. Nope. Kenise, tell us where folks could find your work. You can find me at KeniseMobley.com, and I'm also on all the socials as Kenise Mobley. I have a one-person show coming up at Union Hall on July 29th at 5 p.m., so you can get dinner afterwards. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kenise. Thanks. And um, and let's also say farewell to our real chefs, Chef Kirk. There was, I never really had a doubt. You you were you know you came with the the, nick, the, the chef nickname, and I was sold. <laughs> I was hoping the chef nickname would throw you off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Chef Kirk from Ocho and Milpa in San Antonio. Thank you so much. And finally, we have Jackie Carnesi, executive chef at Nura. I was on the fence, Jackie. Jackie, how did you feel about almost being considered the liar in this game? You know. Um, I, you know, it did sting a little bit, if I'm being quite honest, but because uh, <laughs> I do know how to make food. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jackie, your restaurant sounds delicious, and I can't wait to check it out. It's Nura in Brooklyn. Yeah, please do. Well, I feel relieved. <laughs> this was really weighing on me, you know, to, to whiff... On all of the first three Two Chefs and a Lie competitions would have been sad for me. <laughs> um, so I'm glad I got this monkey off my back, and I, I can say that I, I pulled one out. So, uh, yeah, I you feel good. Dan. I'm carrying home the trophy today. That's right. I'm, I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sporkful producer Andres O'Hara, thanks so much. Thank you, Dan. Next week on the show, we're bringing you breaking news about ICE. We're serious about ICE here on The Sporkful. In fact, this is the second time we've devoted an entire episode to the topic, and it is a hot topic. ICE is quite hot, in fact. So what's the news, and why should you care about it? Tune in next week to find out. While you're waiting for that one, check out our episode from a couple weeks ago about eating on the Appalachian Trail, as well as last week's show when I visit Monticello to learn about the enslaved chefs who created American cuisine. Those are both out now. This show is produced by me along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andres O'Hara. Special thanks to Catherine Moncure. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher Studios. Our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Nora Ritchie. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. Hi, this is Mark Pashan from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, 
or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. This November, I'm going back to Italy, leading a food tour there, and I want to brush up on my Italian. And for that, I'm turning to Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, Sporkful listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash sporkful. That's half off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash sporkful today. 